The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Two feet go. Heart, she's vegan, pins me, I'm a dreamer. She's heart, she's vegan, pins me, I'm a dreamer. Welcome to Main Street Vegan. A lively hour with host Victoria Moran, best-selling author and the OG of vegan living for over 40 years. She and her guests have got the goods to help you look and feel amazing, make a difference for animals, and discover the soulful side of the vegan journey. Now, here's Victoria. I am so interested in people who aren't like me. But I'm especially interested in them if they're not like me, but they are like me. So, for example, a fellow vegan who is a guy who's younger than me and whose background in life was hardly sitting around being a writer, but somebody who was a paratrooper. Are you intrigued? Well, I am too. And we're going to meet today Sergeant Vegan. Hey, everybody. It's Victoria Moran. Thank you so much for being part of the Main Street Vegan podcast. I actually met today's guest on Instagram. That doesn't happen very often. And when it does, I always feel like I have actually made it into the 21st century. So my guest is Bill Muir, and you may know him as Sergeant Vegan. He left a cushy life in Japan after 9-11 to join the army. And despite being afraid of heights, he became a paratrooper, served in the 173rd Airborne Brigade in Afghanistan as a combat medic. Thank you so much, so very much for doing that. A vegan since 1992, Bill adhered to his plant fuel diet throughout his rigorous Army training and deployment. He now lives in L.A., serving our nation's heroes as a registered nurse. He's the author of the books Vegan Strong, The Adventures of Sergeant Piggy, and Dead Meat. And he has been on all kinds of TV shows and radio all around America, including NPR's All Things Considered. Welcome, Bill Muir, Sergeant Vegan. Thank you very much for having me. Super stoked to talk to you and your listeners. Ah, yes, me too. You know, I was actually on All Things Considered too. A very long time ago, they actually came to a vegetarian summer fest, which has been going on. They're having their 50th uh, anniversary oh, wow. this coming summer. It's now called Vegan Summer Fest. 
And they were there interviewing a lot of people. And I didn't think anything about it. I figured I would wind up on the cutting room floor. And the following week, I was back home in Kansas City visiting a friend of mine. And her husband came rushing in from the garage saying, Victoria's on the radio. <laughs> it was all things considered. Oh, so super cool. Yeah. My, my I grew up listening to NPR. My parents are are still really into listening to NPR and all things considered and as things would go, Michelle Martin. So being able to talk to her about my book, Vegan Strong, it it was truly super cool. And uh, I used to live in Culver City, almost right down the street from where they record. So just being able to drive there after work and and do that, it, it was just such a thrill. Wow. So you are a very global guy. So we've already talked about California, Afghanistan, Japan. So just kind of give us the personal and geographic history of Bill Muir. Well, it starts uh, in Pennsylvania, um, raised in Pennsylvania. Then I went to two years of college in Pennsylvania. Then, well, I guess three. Then I studied in Japan for a year. Then I came back to Pennsylvania. Then I moved to Japan for eight years. Then right after 9-11, I went back to America, joined the U.S. Army, was a paratrooper in Afghanistan. I got stationed in Italy. So did all my training mostly in Italy and Germany. Got to live in Europe. And as you would guess, it was amazing. Uh, vegan food, even in the 2000s, was great in Europe. I would say at that time, better than here. And then did a deployment to the Middle East, came back to America. I went to Massachusetts, where I went to a vegan culinary school because I was going to open my own vegan restaurant. Then economic downturn of 2008 told me that was probably not such a good idea. So then I moved to California and worked at a couple of vegan restaurants and surfed in the meantime. Then I went after the Haiti earthquake, which I went and volunteered for. So I don't want to, I wanted to get back into healthcare. So I moved back to Pennsylvania, got a nursing degree in Drexel University, courtesy of Uncle Sam, and then moved to Florida to work for the VA. And I know this is probably making people's heads spin because it's so many different places. Then back to California, and here I am. Well, I love it that you've done much of that as a vegan. So you went vegan in Japan. When was that? So I went vegan in 1992 okay. in, I guess I would have been in Pennsylvania. My, my kind of the summer after my freshman year of college. And I had and been vegetarian. Well, I went vegetarian first, and the motivation was originally just being a snarky teenager, punk rock kid. My parents, my mom asked me to get what I was going to give up for Lent. And for those that don't know, a Lent is a is a forty days in the Catholic tradition where people give up something. And the idea is that you're if you you know you don't eat chocolate for 40 days or you don't smoke or something like that, that you'll somehow be a better person at the end of it. So when my mom asked me what I was going to give up, I, I thought really hard for a second and I thought, okay, I'm not going to eat meat. And nowadays not eating meat for 40 days would be considered a healthy cleanse, even, even amongst the normies, even with 
you know, all of our Netflix documentaries and stuff like that. But 30, now 31, which is going to, it's going to be 32 years ago. That was some revolutionary stuff. What my The family doctor had no idea what was going to happen to me. People actually said their goodbyes. It was like ridiculous. It was ridiculous how unhealthy people thought it was. And honestly, I had no idea how it was going to turn out. I just I just thought I would try it. And when I saw the the reactions I was getting as a snarky teenager, I was like, you know what? I must be on to something. People are, it's at least getting a reaction. And as you would guess, I did not die at the end of 40 days being vegetarian. I, I felt pretty healthy. And then I was like, oh, Oh, maybe I'll just keep doing this. So when people ask me, hey, somehow you've made it 40 days and you haven't died of starvation. Uh, are you going to go back to eating meat? And I was like, well, no, I was I was a college wrestler at the time. I felt pretty good. I was a runner as well. Stamina was there. No need to go back. And at around that time, going to punk rock shows, I got a hold of some Peter Flyers, which Peter people have thoughts either way about them. But a long time ago, that was the only way you would be able to get information about animal rights because there was no internet. There was no way that you could just Google, is eating meat healthy? No. Uh, so I got a hold of a, a, a pamphlet that talked about the awful conditions that animals were living in and pre-slaughterhouse and how awful for the planet it was. At that time, they didn't talk so much about climate change. It was more all the resources that were going toward feeding animals to just kill them, and then all the pollution. So the, a combination of the fact that, oh, if I went, if everyone went vegan, we would be able to feed the world many times over. We would have all this extra resources lying around. Just made me think, oh, you know what? I've been accidentally doing something amazing um, just by being a, a, I guess, being a jerk somehow and saying that I was going to go vegetarian. I've stumbled into something great. Uh, but I hadn't, it, that would probably at that point when I started to have that realization, I had been vegetarian for a couple months, but I didn't identify as vegan and I only heard, had heard the word once. Fast forward that summer, I was working for a pizza place and delivering pizza and I was still eating the, eating the cheese, but feeling kind of weird about it because I got another pamphlet at a punk rock show and it talked about how awful milk production was and how if you were going to eat a cheese sandwich in some ways you might as well make it a cheeseburger because you're killing a cow one way or another and when i realized that it really was a binary choice i either be vegan or support animal cruelty i thought you know there's there zero percent of me wants to support animal cruelty like that so i'll have to be vegan and most of the people that I told for that first, I don't know how many years I was vegan, if they'd asked me about it in passing in school or at work, and I told them I was vegan, I had to explain what vegan meant. Nowadays, you could, it, luckily, most people know what it is, just like I don't have to say I drive a Prius. People already know what a Prius looks like. Uh, and and yeah, it's been 30, I, I keep having to think, but 32 years now. Uh, and never look back. People have definitely questioned it. It's been inconvenient, especially during wartime, especially during in the military. Sometimes when I travel, it's inconvenient, but it's never been a decision that I've regretted. And I think we need to talk about the inconvenient part 
because I think we so much want everybody to do this. It's like, oh, it's great. It's fabulous. You'll feel what it's like. It is great. It is fabulous. It is a moral imperative. Is it inconvenient? Sure it is. It's inconvenient a lot of times. But the inconvenience, as I see it, is it just means that when I really want a latte and all they have is that stuff in those little plastic cups that has dairy in it, I'm going to have black coffee. You know, it won't kill me. So It also depends on how inconvenient we're talking about. Well, I'm certainly, you know, in Afghanistan, I'm sure that was a whole other story. So let's go there. Let's talk about this. First, I want to know your thinking when you enlisted. 9-11 happened and you... The quick story of 9-11 for how I experienced it. I was walking home from work. I can't remember the day of the week. I'd have to look look up what day of the week that was. So obviously with the time difference and living in Tokyo versus what happened in New York, it was nighttime for me. And around 10 at night, I got a text on my phone about two buildings, a fire and a plane. And my, it was kind of, it was, well, it was really dark out because it was nighttime. I'm looking at the glow of my phone. Um, my, I probably was tired because at the time I was doing martial arts pretty much full time. And then I go right to work and I'm like, man, I'm tired. And my kanji is not great. But that seems like word salad, like that two buildings, uh, a fire in New York and a plane. Like, what am I reading this right? And then somebody called me and was like, yo, you got to get to see a TV. You got it. You have something crazy is happening. Uh, So I didn't have uh, a TV set. So I was like, I guess that kind of person. So I I went down to a neighbor's and knocked on the door and said, hey, can I watch your TV? So I. Awkwardly, and a neighbor who I had never talked to, and 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 myself watched in real time the uh, I guess the second plane hit the towers, and it's really hard I think to explain to people who were a little kid or or not even alive at that point how impactful it was for the rest of us living in America and people like me who was an expat living abroad the impact seeing that it was i'm sure what people felt in world war ii when they heard that 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 we had been attacked at pearl harbor was very similar and there was a lot of rhetoric on many different sides talking about it and i remember just being in a stunned daze for weeks and then i thought okay what could i possibly do and as uh someone in a a hardcore or punk rock band in Japan, I thought, okay, I'll put on a bunch of benefit shows and we'll first, we'll raise some money for victims. So started raising money for families of people who had lost someone in the towers. And we did a, a couple benefit shows for that. And then I started hearing about what we were, our campaign in Afghanistan and how we were carpet bombing and the Taliban and stuff like that. And then I started to think about the families who had lost somebody in that campaign and all those innocent people that had died and the children that died and the orphans of people of families. And I thought, okay, maybe I'll raise money for them too. So we started raising money at shows for victims of of those bombings. And that went on for a couple months. 
And pretty much by the end of that year, I had decided, all right, well, I, I think the only thing I can do more than that would be to leave Japan, I quit my job, leave Japan, and become a medic because I, I wanted to be able to, just like uh, being vegan, be able to save lives. And I thought if I was a medic, regardless of what we were doing, I'd be able to help people on both sides. And I would say more or less, that's kind of how things panned out. I spent a lot of time at a local clinic while, while I was in Afghanistan. Uh, I spent a good amount of time wrapping burnt babies and other awful things like that. And a lot of it had nothing to do with the American presence there. It was just, the, it, for those that have been to Afghanistan or have read about it, it very much felt like the Wild West. So, you know, kids would fall into cooking fires and that was just a thing that happened. Or kids would get a whole bunch of different kind of illnesses or it was just a dangerous place to live with very little medical care. So being there, being able to be the really the only medical asset, I was able to do some good. Now, did our unit, uh, you know, inflict a lot of casualties on the Taliban? Certainly we did. And uh, I'm not sure, you know, karmically how that all washes out, but I know that I was able to keep my honor clean and I know I was personally able to help a lot of people there. So I feel good about my time there. And my time in the military. That's so interesting that we're talking about this today. I'm just finishing up. My deadline was two weeks ago. Then they gave me another two weeks. My 14th book, it's called oh, wow. Age Like a Yogi. And I was writing about ahimsa, uh, harmlessness, reverence for life. And very often when you talk about a concept like that, people will respond with, but, like, but what if you get mice in your house or or but what about self-defense or but what about war and one of the things that i was writing is that when you've got this dedication to compassion in your heart then you make a decision based on your history your thinking of the time and maybe you know you'll be a pacifist many of whom are also medics maybe you'll go into combat it's like if your heart is pure and you have the best of intentions, to me, that's all ahimsa. And I mean, some people could probably say, well, and my my heart says I should go eat animals. I think that's a little different. But it, it's so important, I think, that we we listen to what motivates people to do what they do. And then it helps us understand ourselves. I couldn't agree more with that. And one of the things that, for example, one of the reasons why I I was on the fence about joining the military is I knew that I would have to wear combat boots. And while they do have plenty of synthetic leathers to use for combat boots, uh, I ended up having to wear desert combat boots. They're basically like jungle boots that's 50%, the uppers are 50% leather, and then there's a, a canvas woven into it. That having to wear animals, you know, some bit of leather on my feet, I remember was a big compromise for me and something that I struggled with. Um, but 
when we talk about ahimsa, I agree. I think it depends on it. It really matters what's in your heart and the reasons for doing it. And big picture wise, I thought I could do more help being a part of that organization as somebody who's trying to, you know, kind of like even it out toward the good and trying to avoid the bad, especially as a medic. Uh, I could definitely understand where, uh, you know, I've definitely run into some vegan hippies who have what would criticize my choice to join the military. And I definitely had friends who uh, were armchair warriors who, you know, they had, they knew exactly what to do about the world. And they could tell you that from the safety of their home on their couch, uh, talking to the TV and, uh, and me on the telephone. But as far as stuff they've actually done, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, nothing. They've just, you know, talked about it. They're the keyboard warriors of today's age who, you know, they have zero personal experience in any of these matters and have never risked their life for their for family, friends, the better of any anyone. They've just talked about it. And, you know, I made my decision in good or bad. Um, you know, I guess I'm going to have to live with it. And, and now it's almost... Uh, you know, what, 17, 18 years since. So, I mean, all there is is living with it. Well, I, I have great admiration for you. That was why I wanted to talk with you today. Something that I kind of toy with is what if we could get some giant institution to go vegan or espouse veganism? So I think mm, the Catholic Church, that'd be good. How about one of the big military branches if the the healthcare costs certainly that go on with with veterans if they really got how that could be different and and the whole kind of athleticism and and the endurance and all that if that could be communicated to the brass of the army or one of the other services what do you think that would look like and is that the biggest pipe dream anybody's ever had well, thank you for that segue. I I have been working with an organization called Mercy for Animals to get a vegan MRE. So for those that don't know what MREs are, MRE is stands for Meals Ready to Eat. The military loves a good acronym. And mm -hmm. while we're in what we would call the field, while you're basically training in the woods or a jungle atmosphere or in the desert or deployed, that's something you often eat. The army, and well, the military widespread already has four, and that's there's in MREs, they come in cases of 12. For every 12 MREs, there's two that are designated vegetarian, but not vegan. And what we're asking for is to make those vegetarian MREs vegan, basically update and make relevant for 2024. There's already a lot of re really good reasons why that should already be in place. I mean, our recruiting numbers now are at all time low, Gen Z and, and millennials, but more Gen Z are more likely than almost any other generation to consider a plant-based or a vegan lifestyle. And I really don't think the military should be making it harder for people to join. And I would love, love it to have uh, a, uh, a vegan M MRE in I would say, and in, in at least each case, so that would be possible. We're moving toward easily being 10% of the population. I'm not sure what the numbers are with Gen Z, but it's probably more than that. 
And I would think that would be a really smart thing for them to do. In addition to that, having vegan meals, or they can call plant-based, whatever whatever tickles their fancy, in the dining facility is also known as the defects. I think that would be a, a step in the right direction, especially given what we know about obesity and standard American diet and plant-based diets, ability to kind of reverse a lot of the lifestyle diseases. I think that would be a really smart, great, great thing to do. As far as having an entire branch be uh, be vegan, I think that might be, I think America, at least at least our country, I, I can't speak for other, other countries, but our country is always going to be a combination of m- many different types of people from many different backgrounds that somehow figure out a way to work together. And it's going to always be a kind of a mishmash, uh, I think. I, I would like to believe that we move we're moving in the right direction, but you know, like everything, my idea of what the right direction is is going to be different from someone else's idea of what the right direction is. I'm sure there's a lot of people who, well, I don't probably not many people are going to tune into this cast that are vehemently anti-vegan, but I'm sure somebody is going to l- listen to something similar to this and just think, oh, I can't believe that people are doing this now, and you know, perfectly good animals aren't being murdered for you know hamburgers uh you know it's it's one of those weird things but for better or worse it, it's always going to end up being like this or at least in a free society well and i love it that you have been in so many different situations in your life you've been in so many different parts of the world that you can see things from that bigger picture because i think very often we get in these little boxes and think well all that has to happen is i have to tell you what i know and then, of course, you're going to take it and run with it. Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe not. So before we end this part of our conversation, then we'll just take a little breather. I do want to ask you what it was like when you were in the military back in in the early 2000s. What was it like being vegan? I mean, how did people you respond know, to you? How did you get along with your buddies? It was... I liken it very, in in a great degree, to what it was like being vegan in the '90s. Um, in some ways, it wasn't as bad as being vegan in the '90s because I could still, depending on the scenario. So when I was in training, it was basic. It was generally the worst when I was in basic training because I couldn't go to a store, and I only could get food from the dining facility, and. There were very the the vegan options going through the food line were very limited in Fort Fort Benning, Georgia. Uh, we're talking like dry cereal for breakfast, like Wonder Bread and salad for lunch, and maybe white rice and and vegetables if I could get them without the butter on it, or a salad for dinner. It was basically starvation. They made it very difficult to get peanut butter. So even having a PBJ was a luxury. It was difficult. But as I moved through that training scenario, meaning I got through basic training, then it got easier and easier to being stationed in Italy. I mean, it's it's amazing. So being in Italy, in the military meant I had more or less, uh, I would say nine to five, except it was more like five to five job because you'd wake up and do morning exercise and go through all that. And then my life is pretty much like anybody else's other than I probably 
would also have to do forced man- mandatory exercise, which is someone who likes to work out wasn't a problem. And m- maybe we'll do uh, military training, but I would usually be working at a clinic or something like that as a medic. The food options in Italy for vegans were amazing. And I actually put on probably too much weight. I was eating, they, they, I was able to get soy gelato while I was in Italy. So I would eat a kilo. I would get an actual kilo of soy gelato a week. I would, most days I would eat a full pizza. I mean, minus the cheese, obviously. It was absolutely awesome. I ate way too much. And even, even running sometimes 15 miles a day, I was still putting on too, probably too much weight. It was great. Afghanistan was its own thing. At first, when I I know I knew I was going to deploy, I thought, okay, well, I know basic training was awful because I had limited ac- access to, to food, but I knew which which where I was going to be going. I was I knew I was going to this uh, forward operating base called Asadabad, and I was like, okay, I'm going to train for this. I'm going to make sure that I have everything that I need. So I got two industrial size boxes and I put uh, every vegan product that was available in the early 2000s. I had Cliff Bars. I had like Light Life stuff. I had ramen. I had soy milk. It, I, I set myself basically 150 pounds worth of food and I, I thought, okay, even with the limited uh, supply of what I could get while I was there, I would be good to go. Uh, so probably because I was too cocky about how great I had prepared, I was set myself up to be really let down. When I first got into in country, they were giving us a safety brief. Then they said, oh, by the way, Doc, one of your boxes exploded. So and. Uh, for the my reaction, because sometimes I'm able to really give a smart, measured, controlled response. And sometimes, much like the human being that I am, you get the first thing that comes through my mind. So I made this gesture with my hands uh, and I went, exploded. <laughs> and uh, for, the, for the next, I don't know, four months, anytime we were attacked, or there was an IED, uh, someone would make with my gesture I was making with my hands and went, exploded? Did it explode? And uh, it was pretty funny, except that that was like my, pretty much my sole source of sustenance. And I quickly realized that that 70 pounds of food was not going to go very far. Um, our chow hall was basically a 20 by 10 plywood box where a couple Marines were forced to be cooks, so they would just randomly throw some things together in a warmer. It it wasn't great. It was pretty good considering that we were like literally in the middle of nowhere. But if we're a vegan or somebody uh, who had a dairy-free vegan lifestyle, such as me, it was uh, was it was not going to be good. It was not going to be enough. So. As things would have it, I was able to think outside the box once again. I heard about a website called AnySoldier.com where people could put what they needed while they were deployed. Uh, we would occasionally get an internet signal because the, we were attached to special forces and they had rigged up some generators with an antenna. 
and I put desperately uh, help on, you know, I'm, I'm in this, I'm in Asadabad, Afghanistan. I, you know, some of my soldiers need dip or Maxim magazines or whatever. And, and me, the vegan, I just need food. And the response was amazing. People, it just blew people's minds that here in the middle of a war zone with all the things that you'd have to worry about, there was someone who was choosing to maintain an animal-free diet. And people, even people who weren't vegan, just were were moved by it. And I response was amazing. I got boxes every week. And uh at one point in 2000, I think six, seven, I was like the number two Google searched image or the the number two uh image that you would get if you put in vegan power. Because I had a picture that I I sent to Tofurky, uh, with me holding Tofurky in front of a 105 Mike Mike Howitzer and the with the mountains of Af- Afghanistan, um, people thought it was fairly amazing to be doing something like that, um, and Tofurky thought so too, and they 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 sponsored me during that time as well. So that was just it was just amazing. Wow. Well, on uh, Fairly Amazing, we'll just take a little break and we'll be back in a moment with Bill Muir, Sergeant Vegan and author of Vegan Strong. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. Welcome back to the Main Street Vegan Podcast. Again, very happy that everybody is with us. Isn't this a wonderful conversation? I am so happy to get to be talking with Sergeant Vegan and to share the conversation with you. I do have a few announcements from the world of Main Street Vegan. If you've been listening for a while, you know that since 2012, I have been directing Main Street Vegan Academy training and certifying vegan lifestyle coaches and educators. We're going to be doing that again starting in September, our 2024 cohort number 37, and that will be via Zoom. But guess what? We are going to do something extra special this year. We are going to hearken back to our early days when we were live in New York City, and we're going to have an optional, if you sign up for the class, New York City experience. That is happening in August of 2024. And that means that in addition to the regular curriculum and fabulous instructors that you'll have at Main Street Vegan Academy, you can come to New York City for an incredible three-day weekend with some extra special gatherings and classes and, of course, field trips. Well, where we will eat and shop 
Our Way Through New York. So you can find out all about that at MainStreetVegan.com. We'd love to have you in our family of Main Street Vegan certified coaches. And I also want to let you know about something newish that I am doing, and that is Main Street Vegan Salon. This is uh, streaming on Unchained TV. So this podcast posts every other Wednesday on the platform where you're listening. And the Unchained TV, TV aspect of what I'm about comes out on the other Thursdays. So we have had so many cool people come to the studio in New York City. We have had actress Jamie Adorno. Our latest guest is um, Maya Gottfried, who's written the book Vegan Love, just in time for February, the month of love. Bunch of doctors. We've had Dr. Mills, Dr. Gregor, Dr. Clapper. So do check out the Main Street Vegan Salon at Main Street at, um, I'm sorry, at Unchained TV. And that is the Unchained TV app or Unchained TV online. So hope to see you some of those places. And thank you so much for being here. So again, my guest today, Bill Muir, Sergeant Vegan. His books are Vegan Strong, The Adventures of Sergeant Piggy, and Dead Meat. Now, your third title reminds me of my other punk rock friend. I'm kind of a little before punk rock, so I didn't get into that whole thing. But I just love and adore uh, John Joseph from the oh. Cro-Mags. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, he is a personal personal hero of mine. Oh, he's he's just an amazing guy. He's actually taught for Main Street Vegan Academy. Such a guy. So for those of us who either came before or after the whole punk movement, Talk to us a little bit about that, about the connection to veganism, what this term is. I've heard straight edge. So uh, educate us punk wise. Well, thank you very much for that question. And yes, the, the, the punk movement, especially the straight edge movement and what I am vegan straight edge, very close to my heart. So punk came as a response to bloated rock music of the 70s it took some of the angst of the hippie hippie kind of like counterculture movement and formed it in its into its own thing i would say as early as 78 79 with bands like ramones and black flag and was much like i said as a response to the bloated arena rock of you know, Ario Speedwagon and the Who and 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 stuff like that. It was an idea of stripping away all of the kind of like glory, kind of like hero worship of of rock icons and saying, hey, everyone could be, you know, a musician, everyone could be in a band. There's no need to have barriers or boundaries between the the band and people that are coming to, to see the band were all part of the, the whole movement. And through that and that whole taking away all the nonsense of, of rock music, I think punk was able to ha have ideas that I think are very important in our world. The idea of thinking for yourself and not just following a trend. And that's something that 
that punk was able to teach someone like me. And I feel the connection between that and veganism was twofold. One, when I went vegan, while I didn't know any other other vegans, uh, because punk was all about being your own person, thinking for yourself and doing what you thought was right, regardless of what other people said, when people called me names uh, in the 90s and then later while I was in the military for being vegan, I didn't care. A, they weren't me. B, they didn't really know who I was. So who were they to judge me? And C, I just don't care what other people think. I'm going to do what I think is right. You know, whether I'm in America or the Middle East or Japan or any of the other 47 countries I've been to, I'm going to do my own thing. I heard about the straight edge movement through a friend who wasn't actually straight edge. Straight edge, for those that don't know, was started in the early 80s by a band called Minor Threat from the song, like you'd guess, Straight Edge, which espoused a drug-free, unsmoking, non-drinking lifestyle just as a way of getting rid of the BS of the world and all the stuff that would intoxicate you and cloud and ruin your mind. After I decided to go Straight Edge, weirdly, in my first year of college, which is, I don't think, the time when most people give up drinking, mm-hmm. uh, I kind of like veganism. I really, I first got backlash from people because that was usually the time people were trying to, you know, drink the world dry. And I was doing the opposite. It, uh, it really made me think like, wow, I, I must be honest with something. People are just so like taken aback by the fact that, that I don't drink or do drugs. Uh, that to the point where maybe I'm doing something right. If people are so, somehow offended by by not ruining my brain and then later through that lens when i became you know flirted with the first vegetarian then went vegan uh i had already been used to kind of doing my own thing and it was just that much more easier in a way for me to just you know be getting flack for whatever my lifestyle was and much similar to being vegan, being straight edge is one of those things that like, yes, it's been inconvenient. And sometimes, and yes, people have given me some, some guff for it, but no, I've never, never thought that, uh, my life would have been better doing drugs or drinking or, or having a, you know, being addicted to, uh, nicotine. And, and now as a healthcare provider that sees so many lifestyle diseases, both related to eating animal products and, using substances. Um, I, I'm pretty much three times a week. I, I have a really good reason in my, like right in front of me to maintain exactly what I'm doing. And basically telling me like, man, thank God I just never got into this nonsense. Uh, like it doesn't lead anywhere good. Well, thank you so much for that explanation. That is really cool to know about. So let's move into your current profession. You're a vegan nurse and you work with veterans. So are you able to sneak in a little plant-based suggestion here and there? How does that work? Well, very occasionally, mostly because I work nights. So working nights means I'm not there when people are eating. It's happened once or twice where patients have, eh, maybe more than that, where patients have asked my personal opinion on uh hey what what could i do to uh you know uh to get better what could i do to lose weight what can i do to uh 
I have type two diabetes. How can, how can I get healthy? Uh, someone might've just gotten a cath or like a, a heart cath, you know, well, I mean, in those cases, I will kind of mention like, Hey, like that, you know, that plaque in your, 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 uh, arteries is caused by, um, excess animal fats. And how about you just not eat the animal fats and then we won't have to give you statins. We won't have to give you something that you won't need. So you won't need it. Um, unfortunately working nights, you know, it's just one of those things. I, I spend more of my time just making, make sure patients don't fall on the ground or making sure that somebody who's detoxing from, you know, one of their addiction, meth addiction, whatever is, uh, you know, it doesn't die. I spend more time doing that than, than the fun conversations that I would prefer to have. Um, but I, I occasionally have them or with my coworkers, people will ask like, uh, about it, but it's one of those things that I don't know. It's, it's something that I'll bring up or talk about if there's an opportunity, but it, it's, it's, it's kind of more on the rare side that I will get to, to really talk in length about it. And I, I wish I had more of an opportunity. I feel like if I worked maybe for an Adventist center or did something similar to that, I might have more of an opportunity, you know, as it is now working on a, a, a telemetry floor nights with these with these guys. It's more just uh, trying to make sure that I I uh, keep a patient from falling or hurting themselves more often yeah. than not. Well, from the inside, then, how are we doing as a country in taking care of our veterans? I would say poor, very poorly. Um, and there's a bunch of reasons for that. Um, budget. So everyone loves to talk about supporting the troops when people are fighting, but once everyone comes home from conflict, then, uh, everyone wants to like, you know, get tough on the budget and then slash budgets. And some of that I get like, uh, there's a whole bunch of bombers and missiles and nuclear weapons that we don't need. But the VA's budget should, in my opinion, be tied to the military budget. But as of now, it's not. So we end up getting like kind of like no frills, just amount of money. And the, how it translates into our how we take care of our veterans is that because saving money is not necessarily compatible with providing good service they often start cutting things like uh like cutting down on the amount of nurses on a shift and when they do that where they they cut down on the amount of people that are working and then they cut down on something like the float pool which on a perfect day you might not need the flow pool because everybody comes in and then it's redundant and then you you're spending a little extra money. And and I get the idea to save money and you know money we don't need to spend is money that uh that they don't have to that take from taxpayers. Okay, I get that. But you know, this is flu and covid season. So we're always down two or three staff members every night. So but because the government has kind of cut the flow pool at least in and where I work it means if two people don't show up, it means you have uh, on a floor like mine where to have it staffed adequately, you would need seven registered nurses 
and four nursing assistants, it means that we're usually handed six registered nurses with two nursing assistants. Well, what happens if you have a patient that we get from the ER that is a fall risk or is demented and, and or someone who's a suicide risk? Then they pull from our floor instead of the float pool and then put that per patient on a sitter. If someone's lying you know, dirty, that that nurse now doesn't have help to be able to do that. And it just makes it very difficult to do the job. So in conclusion, budgeting uh, adequately for the VA would mean that a majority of veterans who went through there to get services would be better taken care of. And that's, we're not even touching the, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg, not even mentioning veteran suicide or the amount of veterans that are homeless. That's just the okay, somehow they made it through the system and now they're in the VA system and now they're getting seen at our hospital. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for letting us in on that. That's something important uh, to know and hopefully we can be part of, of getting some of it fixed. So I know you've got your three books, you've got all these cool things you're doing on social media. So let us know what you're working on now and just the direction that you want to take your activism and outreach and maybe where you think our whole movement is headed. Well, thank you very much for that question. Well, personally, I'm working on my fourth book uh, about my time in Japan and working on the Final Fantasy X video game. I'm very excited about that. I'm also, this weekend, obviously this is going to be aired way after this weekend, but this weekend I'll be with the Vegan Strong Team. Plug for them. If you want to, anyone wants to look it up, that's Vegan Strong Team on all the socials. Doing a Fit Expo with, with them, which the reason why I love the Fit Expo so much is it's a chance for us to talk to people who may or may not be interested about the vegan lifestyle uh, in the least vegan spot ever, just a weightlifting and bodybuilding uh, expo, which normally, I guess before us showing up, there was very little for the vegan or for the plant-based eater. And lately there's been more and more interest and being able to have those conversations as, as you know, basic as you would guess of where do you get your protein from a, you know, a, a quote unquote meathead and being able to live the example and say, Hey, uh, you know, this guy is a pro bodybuilder who's been vegan for X amount of years. This guy, me was vegan in, in a war zone. And, you know, you're going to say you can't be vegan, but we are living, breathing proof that that statement is wrong. I think that that works. I think that works to support the movement almost as much or more than protests or a bunch of words being thrown around because it's easy to have ideas, but it's harder to have those ideas when you have clear evidence in your face uh, that goes against those ideas or, or does not support them. Um, when there was no vegans uh, that I that anyone could point to, at least in the 90s, uh, I think it was easier for people to discount it and saying like, you know, just, you know, circumstantial proof of I've never met a vegan who, you know, who works out or has any muscle. Okay. It's easier than nowadays. I could say, you know, just look on, just watch some Netflix documentaries, like super low hanging easy. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to be a part of that. Um, I'm going to also be uh, speaking at the, let me see, at a veg fest in Indiana this year. And 
I'll be there too. You're going to be there we'll too. We'll meet. Yeah. Then we'll be there. I, I can't wait for the Instagram photos that we shall take. Well, that will be fun. You know, when I meet people like you that I'm so fascinated by the conversation, it's like, this needs to be longer. This needs to be two hours over lots of green food. So we'll get to do that. That's very cool. Well, it's going to be great. I'm super stoked. So when you talked about the uh, Plant Strong events and that, you obviously work out. So tell us a little bit about what you eat and what you do in the gym. Well, thank you very much for that question. I Let me see. If we're going to talk about workouts. So I work three days a week. I work nights. And one of the, I'd say one of the big perks about working nights is I'm able to get an hour in the gym. We have a gym on site. So I, I take my break in the gym. Uh, for those that work nights, I would, I, I would argue to work out during your break. I would argue against taking a nap. When I used to do, to take a nap during my, my, uh, break, I never woke up refreshed. I always woke up grumpy, like a grumpy cat going to knock something off a, a ledge or something like that. I was just in a bad mood, but when I go to the gym, I always feel better afterwards. So three days a week, I work out at night. Then. I, I'm, so today is like my first day where I've had a full night's sleep. I, I get up, I do a four mile walk. I had then had some tofu scramble for, to eat. Then I'm going to get some, uh, some water. I'm going to go to the gym today. I'm going to do uh chest and tries. And then tomorrow I'm going to do legs and probably buys take Saturday, Sunday off. Well, sort of taking it off i'm going to the do the fit expo and then uh back to back to lifting if i could ask the listeners to do any to do one thing to change their life i would say go vegan if i if i'm allowed to have two things i would say go vegan and make sure you exercise every day now i would put a little asterisk next to the exercise every day and that it doesn't necessarily have to mean going to get a gym membership i I go to the gym. If I didn't have to work, I would go to the gym five days a week. But since I have to work, I go to art the gym at my work three days a week, and then I go to my gym twice a week. But I also walk every day, and I do between three and six miles a day. Um, on days that I work, I walk three miles. I wake up usually around four o'clock at, at, at night or in the afternoon, go for a three-mile walk. Then I come come home, I got an hour, an hour and a half, and then I have to go back to work. Days like today that it's not a weekend, but it's my my days where I'm not going to work, I do a four-mile walk. And then on the weekend days where I'm not lifting, I do six miles. I think that walking every day is something that Americans are missing out on. It I can't overstate how important mobility is especially the older we get and the the worry that we're going to be frail especially as we get older in our 70s and 80s and 90s walking and being mobile it's just one of those key things to a good life that I think we've been missing in North America and I think that's something that almost everywhere in the world especially Japan that it's built into their lifestyle and that that makes them overall healthier and then if I could say a, a third thing uh, besides that, I would say don't overly indulge in alcohol and definitely don't smoke. That's it. You're, 
It's just uh, doesn't. It's going to do nothing good for your uh, your cardiovascular system. Well, thank you for all that. This has just been so much fun. So everybody, if you would like to get to know Bill better, his website is sergeantvegan.com. You can find him on Instagram at sgt underscore vegan. And we will put all his social media and whatnot and also links to his books on the show notes at MainStreetVegan.com. So thank you so very much, Bill. This has been so much fun. I really look forward to meeting you in April. And everybody else, thank you for being here. Now let's go out and make Main Street vegan. Thanks for listening. Find out more about today's episode at MainStreetVegan.com where you can also learn how to take your vegan or plant-based outreach to the professional level through Main Street Vegan Academy. And join our inner circle at the Main Street Vegan Podcast Listeners Group on Facebook. See you next time. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.